This is Jim Minns and you're listening to Minimal. In 2019, I struck up a friendship with an independent American screenwriter and filmmaker based out of Frederick, Maryland in the United States. What follows is one of my favourite conversations that I've ever had with anyone. Rob Hagens is making a name for himself as a true independent and a unique filmmaker in a style all to his own. In the following, we discuss the filmmaking process, our influences, and what it's truly like to be an independent filmmaker in a post-streaming world. You can catch Rob on his own podcast, Screenwriting from the Trenches, or on Twitter at BespectacledMofo. And I note that this conversation was recorded almost two years ago to the day, Christmas Eve 2019. So think of it in a context of pre-pandemic. Rob Hagens, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Rob, you've just written and directed Barbara, which we think is, we've been led to believe is the first uh, feature-length film to be written and directed on a smartphone. I'm sorry, on an iPhone 11. Is that right? Yes. Yes, on the iPhone 11. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I, I am the first to to jump on that horse. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> um, and I'm glad to be uh, to to have that honor. Like, um, it's nice to have like a uh, you know this, this world as big as this one to sort of have like a, a first in any space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. Uh, the, the field that we're in, um, uh, distinctions matter. I don't know if you'd agree with mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so just to to be able to be at the forefront of, of of a pioneering method of filmmaking, I think is really important. So hats off to you for jumping ahead and doing that one. Um, when we spoke in the lead up to this conversation, you said to me, uh, "Steven Soderbergh is your spiritual animal." Yeah, he very much is. Let's um, talk about it. Soderbergh. I mean, you can't ask for. I think a better filmography. Like if you look at his, um, the things that he's done, um, his body of work. I mean, he's got tiny little things like the girlfriend experience and bubble. Uh, I'm a big fan of the girlfriend experience myself. Um, and then you have like giant movies like, um, the oceans movies. And then you have sort of things that are in between like, um, Haywire, which you can see is like like a mid budget, like like th- those sort of things, and he's done. You know, I sort of consider him to be sort of the the grandfather of uh, today's modern independent movement. Because if you look at Sex Lives and Videotape, it's kind of like the sort of blueprint for most modern like indie films, like that one or two room like or like like three location kind of setup mm. with like four main characters like before Rodriguez you know sort of set up the model for um, the $7,000 movie there was Soderbergh sort of going this is a move this is a, 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 a sort of a tiny blueprint as to how you can make something that's interesting um, without making it necessarily small intimate not small yeah, right, right. Um, it's interesting parallel between you and um, Soderbergh. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that you're starting off your career, but um, maybe Soderbergh has had more bites of the cherries through happenstance. That's true. I mean, Soderbergh wasn't necessarily starting his career when he um, started either. He was a very successful music video director, and uh, he was sort of in the business and... But he hadn't really, um, he hadn't really made a feature. Um, he'd made like a bunch of shorts and and different things, and he, he wasn't at the beginning of his career. But he certainly came in, and then. But if you look at you know his first few features after uh, Sex Lies and Videotape, you can definitely see him sort of figuring out like, where do I fit? Like, what kind of movies do I want to do? Mm. I feel that I'm sort of in that same space where it's like. Um, trying to figure out like you know the kind of movies that I want to do uh, the kind of movies that necessarily people expect from me and just kind of where I fit sort of cinematically yeah um, I feel like um, my second movie around the world and Barbara are kind of like cousins sure they see each other at Thanksgiving and they don't really like each other much yeah but, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the same family yeah but my first movie is is I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't have a lot of positive things to say about my first movie. Why not? I, I'm, well, I'm. I'm grateful for the experience, but I think I, I was. 
when I look back on um, She's in the Details, and I said this to my wife uh, more than a few times, I don't see myself in it like I see the myself in the in these other two movies. Hmm. I see someone who is uh, very green and doesn't really hasn't really doesn't really have a command of his craft yet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and i have a lot of i had a uh, sort of a lot of knowledge of what i was doing and stuff like that i mean even at that point but um it's very much a person who doesn't understand doesn't understand cinematography doesn't understand uh, I think the biggest lesson that I didn't understand was camera language. Okay. Um, the language, there's, like, when I look at, around the world, when I look at Barbara, I can see, um, I can see what, there's a message in, in, in the cinematography. There's a camera language that I'm able to speak, in which I appear to be getting fluent in, if I'm not, well, I, I'm getting fluent in it. Yeah, anyway. sure. I'm learning all the time. But yeah. in shooting the details, that you can tell someone who is just, you know, it's like someone who goes to a foreign country and, and just like has like one of those pocket dictionaries. Yeah, I get that. Just, I yeah. get that. But that's because you're a writer first. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. So you're, Very much so. Right. Okay. So, so you're writing, so I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you'd be comfortable in the story that you want to tell. And it's just the translation of that into yeah um i've sort of grown into directing right um i still would i i, I love as much as i love it i think i would give it up like, right not necessarily but like depending on the project yeah um i feel I'm sort of the opposite of soderbergh that way where soderbergh is like i will give up the writing yeah um whereas me i would give up the director if, yeah you know if i matched up with you know like a uh, like a Fincher or, or, or somebody sure. like that, or somebody who's got a strong visual absolutely. style. But, yeah, but that's yeah, absolutely give it up. I, well, man, I hear, I hear, but and that's because Soderbergh is a cinematographer first and foremost. Mm. You know, so he's coming, he's coming from the, he's coming into the craft visually, and mm -hmm. I would say you and myself, if I was going to bring myself into this comparison, which I'm not entitled to do, but coming at it from, you know, there's a, we, we need to get to this point. We, there's a, we need to tell this story, first and right. foremost. And, 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 I, and I feel like the language of cinema now, especially your examples of shooting on a phone, the, the generation of kids growing up on movies now don't have the same cinematic language that, they, that, we, that we grew up on. What do you reckon about that? No, I don't. Well, I think I think we all, to a certain extent, speak a certain level of cinematic language. Um, how much we're able to put that into practice is uh, where we understand, but I don't know if we can speak. You know what I mean? It's like being able to to speak a language, but not being able to write it down. Okay. Um, but I think the technology of uh, the generation coming up is sort of brings them into a space where they're not necessarily they don't have the same mindset I feel that like in terms of when I, I I think you and I are of similar vintages as Alex Ferrari would say yeah but uh, when we were coming up the the idea of shooting for post was a dirty word like I can I remember this very clearly right right, where, right. like where people used to call George Lucas even a post-production director, and that was that was like a slur. That was a, a slight against him. Right. They were like, "Yeah, you get it all for post." And a lot of us were, most of us were were shooting for the image, and then you could manipulate it later. Yeah. Enhance it, but this idea now, the mindset that is sort of there, um, in terms of the way technology works, is a lot of people are shooting for the edit. And I just don't know if I caught into that. I don't, I don't know that, that I – I think I'm just too old for that. <laughs> just, yeah. It's not something that I want to do, which is one of the reasons why I like shooting on the phone because the phone sort of harkens back to those kind of cameras that I grew up uh, working with where you can look. You can get a specific look. I can think of uh, uh, like uh, uh, the ending scene from Barbara has an amazing look to it. And right. then – um, 
then I started color correcting on it, and then it, it like I, it was already in a good place, but then I made it better. Cool. I was sort of released that picture um, uh, yesterday, and I that's what I was going for. Like I was like, this this already looks good. Yeah. Now I can mess with it. Where it was, I feel like most modern cameras, your Sony's, your Black Magics, they're aiming for a place where you can get this sort of hazy image, most of it done in log and things like that. Right. And then you're supposed to manipulate it in post. And I feel like that's sort of the biggest difference between this sort of generation and what came before. I, I, agree, I would agree. I think, I think removing the steps in, to get to the end result is definitely what, yeah, what kids of the generation to come are, are going are gonna to expect out of their filmmaking. Um, right. Your film, Barbara, uh, you just said, uh, we had a chat before we went live had a cast and crew screening recently. Mm-hmm. How did yes, it go? Yes, uh, it went great. Um, people left in all the right places. That's the main and point. And I, I just, I sort of bust off in my own world on that. I was, I was excited to um, get it finished, and but I really was uh, excited for the cast and crew to see it. It was very much a wet print. Yeah. Um, where I finished it literally about 45 minutes before we were supposed oh, to go live. Love it. And um, and I just I spent um, the last six days or last seven days just putting most of it together um, because I released sort of a short film right in the middle of Barbara Mania and um, <laughs> we were trying to get everything done and trying to make sure that it was actually going to be something that we would want to show and. My wife and I, um, who's my producer, uh, were not entirely sure how it was going to play. Right. Like we looked at certain scenes, and one of the the big scenes in the movie has we shot sort of wild. Um, we had six actors and not a lot of time to shoot it, and it was kind of a continuity nightmare. Right. And we it was the last day of shooting, and we were down. Uh, we were short our. Uh, our lone production assistant, my nephew Lance. And so when we were coming into it, it was, there was literally a point, uh, I think midway through the edit of that, where I was not sure that it was going to be something that I could cut together. Yeah. Um, but it did. And then uh, seeing it up on this the big screen, um, I was worried about quality, um, even though we did shoot 4K, uh, and I sort of dumbed it down in the, the print to to 1080 but um even still it looks it looks pretty decent for a uh not for a film shot on a phone but sure. for a rough cut yeah uh i think personally when i uh uh when i finish it when i release it i feel like a lot of people are going to accuse me of not shooting on a phone um and I'm, nice one I'm sort of, nice one uh, i'm just gonna i'm waiting for that yeah um, good so that's There's what you... no way you shot this on a phone for a thousand dollars. There's no way you did this. Yeah, you're a liar. It's great. So I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be spending a lot of time to sort of defending myself and sort of, uh, which is why we've got sort of a post Barbara uh, series on my channel, designing to yeah. detailing it out to the to the to the dollar, like how we did it Very and clever. how other people can. That's really important. I mean, the the I remember reading a story. I think it was. Um, Eddie Edward Burns is um, he wrote an autobiography recently, and um, I I might be incorrect here, but I, I read somewhere that he said the story of your movie is just as important as the movie itself. I believe so because if you look at like there are certain movies like if you look at Mariachi, as much as I am a diehard Rodriguez fan, like I think he's the patron saint of indie film, yeah. absolutely without question, but the the narrative of mariachi oh. is much more important than the actual film mariachi the film mariachi is not that great. it's a rough film if you think kevin smith same thing uh clerks as much as i love that film and i'll definitely watch it i think more than any of the other sort of like uh debuts and with their own narrative and stuff like that yeah but i think it's funny but it's got some really bad acting in it oh yeah and it's it's not the best film, but the narrative behind it is important. Yeah. And it spawned a universe that exists to this day. Yeah. I think that's, you cannot discount that. But, and Ed Burns, same thing. When he made that film for, he saw for $10,000 on camera equipment that he just bought yeah. uh, for, you know, 
at uh, B&H in New York, like, it it was a big deal. There's that narrative is extremely important. And totally. I feel like a lot of people are latching on to Barbara because of, you know, a $1,000 film um, made on a phone, the first one to be made on the iPhone 11 Pro. Like, that narrative is bringing folks in to sort of um, see what I wanted. Like, people want to know what that looks like. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm trying to make sure that – because there – you. Go in the film forums. I'm sure you've seen like uh, film forums and groups and stuff like that where people will say, "Oh, so and so didn't make that movie for that amount, or you know those circumstances." I never see that. I never see that. I I just if somebody like if you're going to go to the effort of saying I've done this for this amount of money, I believe it. Like why would I not believe? That? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know. There's a lot of haters out there. Yeah, but, whatever. You know, it's I you never I never understand the way things are. That's that whole thing of you know things get popular and then you know whatever. I remember when Jordan Peele's um, script for Get Out got nominated for an Oscar. Everybody in the world was talking about how great that movie was, and then when it got nominated, people were like, "Well, it wasn't that great." Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's either good or it's not good. You know, yeah. Rob. I'm probably jumping ahead here because I wanted to get to it later. But you just sure. you, you just threw me into a question where I wanted to ask you about societal expectations. This is a direct quote from you, from uh, a podcast you recently were interviewed on. Um, well, you've just given us an example of a societal expectation. Um, Jordan Peele's film is great. Everybody accepted it, universal acclaim, until it gets a certain level of acclaim. And then it's like, hold, oh, let's pull back the horses here. That's not what we were talking about. We were saying... Right. Yeah, it's not that good. It's yeah. Not- it's not that worthy. Uh, Tell us about your experience, and because I know it's a driving factor in your work, also societal expectations. Yeah, I um, there's a. I don't necessarily know that people see filmmaker like it's been sort of like that my whole life, or writer. Um, one of those things where people just don't expect that out of me. I don't necessarily understand why, mm. but it's one of those things where. I've been sort of fighting against that my entire life. Um, and people are all, still to this day, like asking to be like, whoa, okay, you do that? Like, that's what you do? Mm. Like, and I, I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to play against societal expectations of me, but I definitely feel like there's a place. And um, I had a, uh, my short that I have on my channel, BBD, is, is very much about that. Um, where it was people expect a certain thing from a six-foot-four large black male, and then, you know, when they hear the way I talk or or see me there or find out what I'm into, there's immediately, like, they're taken aback, like, oh, wow, I didn't expect you to be this person, or I didn't expect you to be someone who is, you know, uh, educated or well-read or something like that. I don't know if this necessarily, like, racism or whatever. It's just the way that sort of things play with society. We're just conditioned to expect certain things. Sure. Um, and my, my movies, I think, reflect that in that I'm always um, playing with characters that um, sort of live on the fringes. They... Um, well, yeah, I was going to say without. Sorry to cut you off, Rob, but you've okay. used you've used that experience and subverted it and used it as a narrative trope, haven't you? Like you, you've used yeah. for characters that 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 you want to um, you want to reveal. You're using societal expectations in your actual films. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I think uh, my whole second movie is very much about that. Is very much about. Um, turning that kind of situation on its head and um i remember a lot of people reading like are are in the middle of reading or watching uh around the world they're sort of getting that same sort of experience where they're just like i don't know if i'm gonna like this yeah i remember i had these uh these people review it um for another podcast called the touch of flavor podcast uh they're friends of mine and i asked them to watch the film and they were not on board all the way up until the last five minutes where you sort of turned that the situation on its head and people were people always sort of like oh wow 
like that ending is just that that sort of turnaround. Sure. And I feel like that comes from that's very much an internal thing where I'm I, I very I don't like people to I don't like to for people to put things in a box, especially me. But like um, there are different layers to to people, and you never know what folks are into. Sure. Like you can't necessarily put everyone in a box as much as you might like to or um you know despite what you know their narrative might be or where they're coming from or what their politics are yeah they're still human beings and human beings are are literally um made of contradictions and i feel like um i spend my whole like i spend a lot of my time trying to do sort of the same thing with my writing where i don't want people necessarily to um come at that i think a lot of the um a lot of that, I spent time with that in Barbara, too, where I had this character who's sort of a monster, but there's a scene at the end where I definitely, if not try to redeem her, but then to sort of give sympathy, sympathy for the devil. Yeah. Uh, um, and I just, I, it's definitely a factor within my work. It's definitely one of my sort of... Uh, I think that's works. awesome. I like the way you've channeled it. Um so, you know, you made this film for a thousand bucks. This is Barbara that we're talking about. Um, it's yes. going to be released in the next couple of weeks. Well, the next couple of days. Isn't that true? We're going to go New Year's yeah, Eve. Uh, New Year's Day is New Year's Day. Up. Nice one. Hell or high water. Here we go. Um, before we get to, you know, um, information about where we can watch it, because I'm dying to see it myself. Um, distribution as an independent filmmaker is a pretty important conversation. Um, uh, how are you releasing Barbara and um, are you happy with the way you're releasing Barbara? You know, like, like we've got, we've talked about your marketing approach, but you know, the release itself, are you happy with the way filmmaking now, independent filmmaking now exists in this model where we have to compete with trillions of dollars and limited screens, you know? Well, I mean, I think it's sort of that, double-edged sword in terms of barbara the way we're releasing it a lot of people have been saying like as they see things they're like well why don't you really consider like you know traditional distribution and for me um just sort of the way that i sort of experience media i very much i sort of am in touch with the way people want to experience their their stuff they want it the way they want it and they don't they want to get it as free as possible because people out there don't have a lot of money mm. and so for me at least for this one i i was doing it as an education tool okay. but i was also trying to make art at the same time mm -hmm. which is just me double dipping but um so i'm not I'm not upset that we're releasing it to YouTube. That was the plan all along, and it was never in this space where I was just like, ah, it's disappointing. Um, I think the next thing that I uh, that I have to tackle tackle as a uh, in sort of the series, I think that's going to be my goal for as a filmmaker of 2020 is to sort of uh, to move in that uh, direction of what is sort of the best distribution arm. Mm. Um, or what is the best way to release something that you do plan to try and, and make some sort of, uh, not necessarily a profit, but definitely some sort of money off of, right. like where, what is that journey? And I think that's what I'm looking forward to in 2020, if, but if, if it's sort of project unspecific. Um, but in this for Barbara, um, I've definitely, one of the reasons that I made it for $1,000 was that it's not something where... You know, you spent a bunch of money on it, and then afterwards you put it up on YouTube, and that's just money lost. I think $1,000 is a place where anyone can sort of dip their feet into that water and then not come away scarred. Absolutely. Or, uh, um, and that's just, you know, I, I'll feel good about being able to uh, get that out to a, uh, the widest audience possible for free. And I'm glad to give it away. Um, but I think... To answer your broader question in terms of distribution and sort of uh, this day and age, I'm I don't know. I'm there's a lot of uh, hungry consumers out there. I think for a while it's going to be very much a wild west in terms of what is um, what is the way to release things because you have different uh, avenues like Patreon and um, a lot of folks that I know um, are starting to dip their toes into that waters where they are releasing deliberately to an audience and i feel like we're in a great place sort of in that 
there's a lot of niche audiences out there where you can sort of carve out your own space. I feel like you still can. And as long as you consistent with your content and your audience, you can very much find your, uh, a self-sustaining sort of uh, business model that you can uh, adhere to. But at the same time, you are competing with a lot of voices. Mm. So, Well, that leads me to my next question, man. Do you reckon you were born in the wrong era? And the reason I asked that, <laughs> I've got a preface, right? That we were talking about our heroes, okay? Steven Soderbergh, Kevin Smith, um, Edward Burns. These are filmmakers who took, you know, similar situations to us where they had limited resources, but they had manpower to sort of, you know, get their limited resources and construct something. And this was at a time and a place in the mid-90s when um, people like Harvey Weinstein or someone would snatch these things up because they could, you could put them on a screen in, you know, right. West off off Broadway, you know, and and people would go and watch it. This is before everybody had subscriptions to Showtime and all and all sorts of the the streaming platforms. Um, obviously, we know that those models have gone away. Filmmaking has become much more ubiquitous. So has the distribution platforms. Are we in the wrong era now where we're telling these stories that have broad form appeal, yet the audience is so forked, you know, like, I mean, as in F-O-R-K-E-D, um, <laughs> that um, they're, not, they're not around, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, dis they're dispersed too far. How do we find these people? Well, I think that's, I mean, for me, I think, I don't know that I would necessarily, I have sort of a bias because I, I sort of was coming up in that, sort of the cowboy days of... Me video. too, yeah. Um, and I... There were so many... I feel like people are like gatekeepers are a thing today. I feel like there's so many more gatekeepers back then because at that point, you couldn't even... Like, film was the, the, the inherent standard. There was no getting around film. Yeah. They wouldn't even let you into film festivals if you were shooting on anything other than film. Mm. And the, the idea of uh, doing things the way that people do now, like we've seen a bunch of folks, like the guy who did Lights Out and, um, and other folks like that who are coming up, they're able to make these shorts online, these viral shorts. Sure. And... and come into this the system or you know become uh, or sort of carve out their own audience you know not just uh you know folks who are doing it but also you know youtube personalities yeah. and i don't know that i necessarily i don't think that I, we came up in the wrong era because i feel like i'm more geared towards um today's technology and yeah. definitely today's sort of mindset with um being able to make a movie for a thousand dollars like even like the narrative at, at the rodriguez point was seven um and what's this i don't you know you can go even further and say what's seven thousand dollars in today's money but sure. the fact of the matter is is that the i enjoy that you can take a piece of consumer equipment hmm. that goes in your pocket mm. that you use to call your grandmother uh, you know on holidays mm. and you can take that thing and make something that stands up to red footage um, I enjoy that immensely cool. I I is the more that becomes of the thing the more the happier I am about it because now I have ways around gatekeepers you can't stop me from making a movie. You can't stop me from distributing a movie. You can't stop me from making st the next Star Wars. You can't. Mm. You cannot stop me. I am unstoppable now because of the something that I keep in my pocket. And while we're not necessarily, no one has necessarily done that yet. But I'm not. It's not to say that it can't be done. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, I very much enjoyed that freedom to be able to make the kind of content um, as much as we all hate the word content, but make the kind of content that that I, you know, that I enjoy and stuff like that, and not necessarily worry about what's commercially friendly or that sort of thing, or, you know, or be able to make a movie for $1,000 that 
uh, has the kind of quality that could be released that doesn't has to worry about making so much money back. Yeah. Uh, there can be a calling card. Uh, there can be something that's educational. There can be a rallying cry. Yeah. Um, art as a rallying cry and not being able to, having to necessarily kill yourself financially, trying to make back even $7,000 or $20,000, $50,000, the kind of model, because it used to be you couldn't even step into a film festival without a film that was made for any less than uh, $150,000 to $100,000. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of, those days are done. And yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad they're gone and a <laughs> good written. Yeah, fair call. Fair call, man. Um, just going back towards um, your chasing of a of a cinematic image that's on par with a red or something something like a what was it the other cameras the alexa or something like that you, you, yeah you're putting your iphone 11 footage up against those on on a, on a side-by-side -side platform and that's exciting it builds a great narrative uh for your story to tell like as you said the story of barbara um with uh the you know the mobile phone technology being around and accessible to everyone and the rise of everyday occurrences appearing on YouTube that have been shot on people's phones. Um, do, how important do you think you will be in chasing the image in about five to 10 years? You know, like if you could tell a story that was in four, three or shot, you know, whatever this is called, the, you know, you know, that, that, yeah, sort of that Instagram um, yeah. uh, aspect. Yeah, this is how people yeah. are using their cameras, right? So, um, your so at the moment your film is on comparison with high high grade technology. Uh, there's a lot of videos at the moment because I'm studying law here in Sydney, right? And I'm addicted to these videos. Um, there, there's a thousand of them a day where people film their interactions with the police <laughs> at roadside stops, and there you, you go down this rabbit hole. Rabbit hole and you are you just keep going it's it's incredible viewing right and i'm thinking to myself this is how kids are consuming content they're not looking at scorsese the way we did and thinking well how do i recreate that image on my phone you know potentially in 5 to 10 years from now they'll be like i know how to tell a film i i just point and click is this right. do you see your own work going in this direction You've already got well, the tools. Well, it already has. Um, I'm glad you brought this up because we very much um we sort of wanted to play up the narrative of the film with Barbara in that, that when I considered the cinematography for this movie, I very much considered it for um, Instagram. And we shot a lot of one shots and mm. we shot a lot of coverage where you're fitting all of the characters within the frame mm. and stacking them in layers. And we shot a lot of with the, I sort of uh, our sort of uh, camera mindset was, if Wes Anderson made a film for Instagram. Mm. Um, and so we literally shot Barbara like that. And so it's already there in terms of, uh, you know, whether or not we're shooting for those platforms. And I, 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 I don't know. I would hate to think that, you know, eventually all films will get to that point where we're all sort of shooting for that vertical aspect ratio or shooting this way instead of this way. Sure. But um, at the same time, You, you can't be afraid of the future and you can't be, you, you can't, you can't stop technology. Sure. Technology is going to advance and kids are going to experience things the way they experience them. And then they have their own, you know, uh, flavors. And it's just like, you know, the previous generation being all precious about film versus digital, Yeah, you know, where we know red is a thing now, but as it was coming out, it's very much a disruptor. Totally. And, um, that idea that those gatekeepers who were, who were saying so many different things, I literally had this the other day where someone uh, saw uh, the Barber trailer and accused me and said with a stunning amount of racism that Spike Lee would never shoot anything digitally um, as if Spike Lee, A, was a, a monolith for black filmmakers uh, and B, as if Spike Lee, as a young filmmaker in 2019, would shoot digitally. He absolutely would. No one is clamoring to shoot digital, I mean, to shoot film in 2019 mm -hmm. coming up. Like, you don't see a lot of these younger kids going, geez, you know what I'd love to shoot is 16 millimeter. They don't. They have their phones. They want to shoot. Absolutely. And they want to be a part of the narrative. Like, that. So for me, I don't necessarily, I don't 
necessarily agree with it. Mm. Um, I can see it going to that sort of space, especially for a lot of the way the content, the way content is consumed. Yeah. Because you have Instagram uh, influencers and YouTube influencers, and um, there's a lot of things being shot for YouTube. And that idea of being precious about it, like that you can dictate the way people consume their media, that's that's the way of the, the dinosaur. That's yeah. the way to obsolescence. And so for me, I'm just, it's already affecting my work. And I think it will continue to affect my work in the future. But, you know, there's still no, like, people are still going to the movies and, and enjoying uh, cinema the way, quote-unquote, cinema was, was is supposed to be. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to see Star Wars 9 just like everybody else. Mm. Um, and there are certain movies like, I, I, uh, you know, when they re-released The Breakfast Club, you know, at the Alamo Draft House, I'm, I'll go to see it. Like, the, I, I like to go to the movies. I think people will always like to go to the music, movies as a communal experience. Yeah. But in terms of content that is consumed uh, at a very rapid pace, there's nothing you can do. It's going to, yeah. you know, create a boom. It sucks, but there's nothing you can do. Yeah, can't stand in the way of that. Yeah, but you know, the flip side is, as because you're a writer first and foremost, it's bringing that aspect of your work to the to the to the forefront. You got to, you know, you're concentrating more on the story rather than shot chasing, for example, potentially, right. which is, uh, I guess, is a benefit. Um, why do you but love? I do have, like, but I do have like certain standards of quality. Um, yes, this is I, why I'm asking I, you. I, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like because there is like you know I do want to be able to for my footage, despite whatever it looks like, to be able to stand like uh, to stand toe to toe with some of the 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 larger you know sensor cameras and things like that. Because there's no excuse, even even in telling you you know where story is more important necessarily than the image i still have certain quality standards that's just a part of me yeah fair and enough i just can't i couldn't i don't think i want to get to a place where i would uh sort of have those lax standards and stuff like that in terms of well we just shot it i mean the story was more important and no i, I don't think i'll ever get there that's fair enough but i reckon the kids are going to think the complete opposite because they, yeah, they've I got don't... a diet of like you were saying a diet of instagram Rather than a diet of reservoir dogs, you know. Yeah, they don't care. They just they they a lot of video to uh, the younger generation come up is just content. My sons, that's right. uh, who are who are teenagers, uh, they're constantly talk to me about that. My son says to me, my son literally said to me the uh, uh, like last week, he was just like, "Don't worry about it being so pretty," and I was thinking, "Are are we talking about the same kind <laughs> of things?" Like he's talking about my. My Mofo Monday videos. I'm like, we shoot those with two lights, one of which is broken, and a and a <laughs> and in a, a basement. Yeah. I don't know what you mean by pretty. What are you talking about? I, it's certain. He's like, it's it's. He's like, it's it's like it's too perfect. Yeah. I was like, I don't. Because that's your yeah. Your filmmaker, your filmmaker's coming out even in your cheapo smash grab videos. The filmmaker in right. you is the instinctive, and he yeah. This generation now is just like just shoot, just shoot and go. You know. Right. It's interesting times. Um, why do you love Closer? Mike Nichols is Closer. Why do you love it so much? Oh, my God. Uh, where to start? Uh, the dialogue, the cinematography, the acting. The acting. Number one, the acting. Like, um, that scene, there, there are certain... Everything about this, the, that movie, I think, it's, I think it's virtually perfect. But, like, if you think about a scene like... The scene between the first scene between Jude Law and Julia Roberts, and they're just existing in that space, and they're just tossing dialogue at each other. Mm. And Julia Roberts is just casually uh, snapping photos of Jude Law, and the two of them are so authentic. Like Julia Roberts, I don't know if she's a photographer, but she looks like she's been shooting for years. <laughs> she looks like that is her job. Mm. And Jude Law is existing in that the skin of that character. He has bad posture, and he is sort of a an asshole and he has commitment issues and just everything about that scene is amazing and it's just two people talking yeah um and it's just human beings existing like i said full of contradictions and i love it lightning uh, in a bottle I, I could not love it anymore i, I love the, the pacing of the dialogue i love the, the, the cinematography is just 
the way that it just allows the character to exist within their space, I just, I, I rewatch that movie several times a year. And, Interesting. And, I think it represents a mile of film. So, and I love the fact that it's underrated. Mm. It's, just, it's, I also love Mike Nichols as a director. Oh well, yeah, for sure. Um, the graduate are also one of my favorite films. Great movie. And I just, if you want to talk about what filmmaking is, what cinema is like, start with that movie and you could teach a class on it. That's it's interesting. Just, everything from the top down about it is just so good. Yeah. And, well, I can see I can see how it influences your work, Rob. Because if you think about the scene you were just describing, Julie Roberts and Jude Law, and it's two people in a room captured. It's essentially it's lightning in a bottle. Like that's cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no special effects. It's just you know well lit, well discussed, well framed, and then but you know it's people using their craft on the stage on the floor and getting right. that in, in the in the camera. And obviously that's influencing your work because you're making. Uh, talkies you're making uh you know dialogue driven driven films so how important in you know like so is rehearsal important like how, how do you stage your shots i mean i know you shot very effectively for barbara but how important is this rehearsal process or do you like the spontaneity what, what what's your process i i, I do love I, I don't necessarily always get rehearsal uh time um, sure. i remember on around the world we got a little bit of rehearsal by skype um, and that helped a lot. And the two actors were able to rehearse with each other because they were both in Los Angeles. Cool. Across the country, um, uh, before they came, before they both flew over. And so that was really helpful because they were, they came to me off book and then it was just about blocking and we were able to create within the space. Um, Barbara, um, for me, especially certain sequences, I'm, I'm very much about rehearsal on set, but I also don't like to rehearse it out because you will find like the raw energy of, of, of like beginning performances. And sometimes you get those, that lightning in a bottle things where you just get it. You just snatch it on a first take. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of one take only, uh, shots in Barbara where we just like nailed it that first awesome. take. And I was just like, okay, move on. <laughs> nope. And certain actors, you know, don't, you know, like that. They're, they're just like, really, you don't want to do another one? And some actors are like, I love it. Let's do it. Let, let's go. Let's move on. Sure. Like, I got it. Good. Yeah. Um, and, and you sort of have to navigate as a director, like, who's, uh, depending on what you have time for, what your production schedule allows for, mm. you know, you might want to do that second take just to sort of, or a third take just to sort of uh, give folks that chance to feel like they were able to get what they wanted out. Um, but for me, um, I sort of ride that line between like sort of what would be like a, almost like a, a mumblecore-esque kind yeah, of Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, like a mumblecore-esque kind of place and also from a rehearsed kind of space. It's just, and that's just, I think, the nature of, um, not, so, not necessarily convenience, but uh, of necessity of having six days to shoot an 89 page film that's right um and you can do rehearsals during sound checks you try to combine those things and stuff like that but um i would love to be able to rehearse things down to like a let's say a a sorkin kind of level of of uh rehearsal where you can you know they did a bunch of rehearsal on steve jobs i remember like it was like a play sure um but that's not always no. in the budget. Indie so filmmaking. Gotta, no. That's right. You got to make do with what you got. That's right. That's right. Um, that, Rob, tell us about Barbara. When's it getting released and how can we watch it? Uh, well, I have a YouTube channel, Bespectacled uh, Mofo. Bespectacled Mofo. Yeah. It's on the, it's on the There hat. it is on the hat. And we'll put uh, it, I'll put a link in the description as well. Uh, yeah, it's my YouTube channel. We, uh, I will, I will be sort of my year long journey sort of ends in March. We sort of started this journey about a thousand dollar feature film. Um, but it will be there New Year's Day. Beautiful. Uh, so whether you're subscribed or not, but I hope you subscribe, uh, it'll be sometime New Year's Day. It'll be there New Year's Day. Put it that way. Sure. Um, we are, I think about 70% through uh through it and uh in terms of production quality towards the end we're just 
finishing up the sound and we're finishing up color correction and um, we're sort of picture locked beautiful uh, which is great but um, it'll be there and and we may I don't know I've been considering uh, doing a kind of release for Instagram um, because the actors have been acting me have been asking me because there are a lot of younger actors I'm you know 36 37 next month right and so you know for me I'm like YouTube yay and you know Vimeo yeah but you know some of the actors have been asking like well what are we gonna do about uh, Instagram because it's very important to them and yeah. that's where they sort of exist yeah. way more than necessarily Facebook uh, but yeah so we're I'm maybe considering something for that and what if, would that uh, look like what would, what would you split it up into sections what would you do maybe uh, that may it might be do something where you s set it up into something where you know um, being that it's a 70 minute film you could put it up into uh, like seven ten minute segments sure or ten seven minute se segments yeah yeah so um, you could probably do it that way mm. and um, put it up on uh, IGTV that sort of thing and that might be something that we could look into and I think it'll play because like I said the cinematography plays towards that yeah. um, aspect ratio um, um, and also we also use one of the Instagram filters there was a um, uh, we in the color in our color correction we were thinking about that and so I, I googled to see whether or not somebody had released a let pack with the Instagram <laughs> um, filters and we chose Ginza and so we've been uh, sort of color correcting with that so <laughs> it looks like it belongs on <laughs> um, love it fantastic yeah so, great yeah so it will be it'll definitely be on YouTube and it may also end up have a life on Instagram as well right. I, I'd be interested in the experiment well listen you'll definitely get a view you'll definitely get a view out of me I'm 35 I'm the same vintage of you so I'm a YouTube mm -hmm. man and uh, mm -hmm. so de you know one of those um, one of those uh, view counts will be mine really looking forward to it Rob congratulations on all the work you've done and thank you, uh, no thank you thanks for your time i'm taking you away from your vital post-production time but um uh, you're the most optimistic <laughs> filmmaker i think i've ever come across rob and it's infectious thank you i i, I will just want to say um i you know because we sort of connected um uh via your uh your site and i love your vlog and thanks, I, uh, man. I love you i definitely love your podcast and 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 so i'm i very much um uh, love the way that you're sort of uh, championing uh, the the power of independent film as well as mobile film. Um, yeah. And I really enjoy that because I feel like we should be empowering more people yeah. to go out and create and to tell stories. Because um, I feel like, especially with the way things are in terms of not just the economy of the United States, but also the world economy. I feel like art is more important than ever. And a lot of people just come home and they just, they, they may have stories inside them, but they think, oh, I can't do that. I, 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 you know, I'm not that person. And being able to empower someone by saying, no, it's okay. You can use, you don't need fancy cameras. Mm. Like Panasonic released, I mean, uh, and Netflix released, uh, has that list of, of, of cameras that are, oh, yeah. Netflix appropriate. <laughs> oh, what a joke! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read it. Yeah, it's a big deal because in the in the video world, because Panasonic made all that noise because they released the S1H, right. and they were like, "This is a Netflix uh, appropriate camera <laughs> as long as you use these settings and blah blah blah." And for me, that was kind of like, "Are you kidding?" It's bullshit. Total bullshit. Right. Yeah, it's total crap. Yeah, and not only that, but the op the opening price of that camera—not that you know, whatever <laughs> Panasonic price your camera wherever you want—I don't care. Sure. But at the same time, that camera is priced at four thousand dollars. So you mean to tell me? So even to get into what you're saying is possibly to get into Netflix's good graces. Yeah. It's a four thousand dollar asking price at the beginning. I know. I know. To get it for anything else, four thousand dollars. But Absolutely. Rob, your hero, your hero gets in on an iPhone 11 or an iPhone 10. Right, exactly. Soderbergh, that's sort of my point, because like, we let Soderbergh in with a phone, not even an iPhone 10. He did it with an iPhone 8. Yeah. Um, so, so they're full of it, mate. They're full of it. They're, 
They're totally full of it. But that's interesting, Rob. Um, uh, I was going to say, um, I think you're 100% right. I think art is important. And it's very, it's it's a bit of a wank to say that, right? Oh, art, you know. But if you look at the current state of the world, <laughs> you know, right. getting a little bit geopolitical here, um, uh, the, the way to counter divisions is to create things that people can enjoy, I think. Right. If, if you're enjoying the same... Like, you know, if we're enjoying the same kind of content, there's at least a space where I agree. we are both fans of these things. Yeah. We have the same sort of references that com- that condense into what is this piece of art. 100%. And so if you can meet on that, then you can find ways to get over the other stuff. Exactly. Because here is this place where we connect, where we enjoy something, mm. and we can find um, common ground or friendship in, yeah. t- in that that goes beyond everything else. We might be polar opposites and stuff like that. I have a, my best friend and I are, are are very similar politically, but in terms of our ideologies, um, you know, we're sort of very come at things in a very different way. Mm. But at the same time, we very much geek out over Mr. Robot all the time. Good, yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent, yeah. And that's look when I see Star, if I if I see a film getting released and it's like a Star Wars and it's taken a trillion dollars or something like that, I don't look at that and go, oh great, someone's putting you know their their foot on our neck and squeezing us as filmmakers. Right. I see, I'm I competing for the same space. Yeah, I'd be like, great, that's people enjoying two hours and they're not on the internet ripping each other apart for two hours. So that's great. Right, exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I just yeah, I, I'm I'm very much. Um, I just I'm very much about uh, putting making sure that in this time I feel like in a sort of dark time of of at least economics. Yeah. That I think art is more important than ever. Yeah. Not just the cons- the the consummation of it, but definitely the creation of it, and to feel like that everyone is able is able of of, of creating a piece of art that they can a be proud of and that b other people can enjoy. I feel like that's probably the best thing about technology is that we're in this space where some nobody like me can make a thousand dollar movie and then put it out there and folks go, wow, that's wow. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. I love that story. I, I like I feel like I know a Barbara. I feel like I, 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 I am this character. These this is me and my wife, you know, that sort of thing. And to be able to 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 do that, to be able to connect with people on that level, that's everything in the world to me. That's that's I feel like that's how you save the world. Mate, saving the world one film at a time, Rob Hagens. Thank you very much. Hopefully. Oh, mate, you're doing it. You're doing it. I love your work. Thank you for your time, Rob. Thank you for having me. Legend. Legend.